Hello, this is John Bueri, and welcome to another episode of Community Intelligence, where we explore how leaders engage and build community. For this episode, I sat down with Gracie Liu, General Manager of Empower LA, a department of the City of Los Angeles that gives a voice to communities on local issues by organizing, supporting, and empowering a network of 100 neighborhood councils. We met at Hungry Fox, a Thai-American fusion breakfast spot, the kind of place you only find in LA. Gracie discusses her work with neighborhood councils and the challenges of bridging the gap between government operations and real community needs. You know, as general manager of Empower LA, your job, maybe one of few in the country, your job is about building, respecting, and empowering communities. That's, that's your job. Yeah. As much as people claim it, that really is your job. And so you have a day-to-day -day experience of seeing people at their best and sometimes not at their best as they try to advocate for themselves and their community, whether geographic-based or interest group-based. So with all that perspective, I want to ask you a couple questions about neighborhood councils in Los Angeles and how that might apply to other cities that, are, that have the system or are looking at trying to ways to empower community that they're working with. So first, what really is a neighborhood council? You know, who's on it, what do they do, and why are they important? So what is it and why are they important? Sure. So, so just really quickly, Empower is our tagline name for the Department of Neighborhood Empowerment, okay. which is actually the, the city chartered um, department name. So I want to make sure that that's cl very clear. Okay. Um, and because uh, it's m one of the most awesome names, <laughs> I think, of any city department uh, in department the country. Department of Neighborhood Empowerment. Yes, like how amazing is that, right? Um, so neighborhood councils are advisory bodies to the city. They're comprised of elected volunteer uh, Angelinos, and the the their mission is to increase civic engagement and make government more responsive to local needs. Uh, and they are, it's comprised of everyone in the community, and that's what's amazing about neighborhood councils. It's, it's live, work, own property, or you have a substantial ongoing interest, like your kids go to school here, or you worship in the area, or you board horses in the area. And, and it's open to people who are undocumented, it's open to people who are formerly incarcerated, it's open to youth in most, of, most parts of the cities. Uh, and, and I think it's an incredible way of bringing community together to have an ongoing dialogue with the city to teach um, the city hall folks about what's important to that community. Uh, each community, as you know, the city of Los Angeles, you know, four million plus people, and, that, and that's just residents. And then to have all these different um, uh, stakeholders who typically don't necessarily talk to each other, but to give them this platform is amazing. And so that's what they are. And why are they important? Because this is only a 20-year-old experiment. Actually, this year is probably the 20th anniversary of neighborhood councils in 2019. They were uh, established in the 1999 charter. Yes, yes. Uh, and the first neighborhood councils came into being 2001. 2001. Yeah. And so why are they... Is it working? Is this, is this effort working? Is the first sort of first system at this scale in the country? Right. Is it working? What is it? Is it really what? serving its purpose? Right. So if we're looking at the mission of increasing civic engagement, yes. We are increasing civic engagement. Making government more responsive to local needs, yes. Because we are getting that local voice. And in the end, though, it, it really depends on how invested the city is in terms of providing resources, trainings, 
um, how how much they open the door, give you a seat at the table, how much influence will they give you, right? Because they're advisory bodies. So, right. so there's frustration there sometimes when they say this is what we want and they still don't get it. They are one of many voices, or, you know, H, whether it's an HOA or a chamber, you know, or any other political or special interest group out there. Um, I would, I think the thing that's special about neighbor councils and that which shows that they are working is that we've seen them expand in power. I don't think if you wanted to get rid of neighbor councils now, like I don't think that's possible. So give us an example of this expansion of power, maybe something that's small and now it's grown. Sure. So, so the the um, ability to weigh in on the city budget, right? So before they used to just do a survey. Now they the the neighbor council budget advocates actually interview all of like the the general managers of city departments. They really do a deep dive into the city budget and they make recommendations um, to city council and to the mayor's office. So the mayor actually now meets with the neighbor council budget advocates twice each year to listen, to talk about what his, his um, uh, priorities are and then to hear about the white paper later on about what, what neighbor councils are wanting. I think that's, you see the expansion of power there. You see the fact that they helped create ratepayer advocates, uh, the ratepayer advocate, that was something that came out of the neighbor council system um, for DWP. Um, and and then you see it becoming a training ground for new commissioners, um, new electeds. Con uh, controller Ron Galperin, he he came out of the neighbor council system. Um, council member David Rue of CD4, he came out of the neighbor council system. Um, and then and then we see more and more neighbor council people actually being hired into the city. So that grassroots spirit is starting to infiltrate in areas that I don't think people expected. So that's, that's a, a flexing of muscle that we see expansion over 20 years. But do they still have the ability to effectively represent their community? I think the challenge that some people may, may view is how can that many interests actually be able to represent a community? I put two plates right here. Okay? <laughs> and this Excellent. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. So the you food has arrived. I know, yes. Yum. Fried chicken and waffles. <laughs> with Thai sweet sauce. And whipped cream. And whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> this is so LA. Yeah. Um, so, so let me get to that question. Uh, let me re-ask yes. that question. Neighborhood councils are representing a diverse cross-section of one neighborhood. And with so many interests within that neighborhood, how can a neighborhood council actually effectively represent the varied interest all at once when they're trying to sort of uh, collect input from so many diverse se sectors and stakeholders, how can they effectively represent that? Right. I think that's a very fair question. And, it, and, and just like any type of representative body, it, it depends on who's on the board mm. and how effective they are. So if you're asking me, like, part of the question was from before, like, how successful are they? Well, some neighbor councils are more successful than others depending on who they have on their board, right? Um, and And some people run for neighborhood councils with an agenda, and some agendas will will prevail. For instance, there was one um, election cycle where Teach for America did a push for their folks to join neighborhood councils and really advocate for education issues. And we saw that on, in the west side on some of the neighborhood councils there, that more education issues got heard. So I think, you know, when, when it works in terms of, of gathering all those voices, um, 
is when the neighbor council boards understand their community and know to reach out to all the varying voices. We know right now the things that we need to work on is diversity. Um, we did a demographic study and we've seen that neighbor councils tend to be skew older, um, white, male, and homeowners, right? Uh, because they tend to have more time. So, so now we're looking at how do we expand that? How do we get more millennials in there? How do we get more underrepresented folks in there? And that's part of our election cycle outreach that we're really targeting those folks to make sure that that leadership is there. So what makes some neighborhood councils successful and others not? What is it, what's that secret sauce you think that really you could point to as saying this is some of the indicators that make it successful? So when we see a diversity of the board members, we know that there's folks on the board that really uh, will get into the community issues and bring up relevant community issues. Um, so if, it's, if the board all looks kind of the same, then we know that they're probably not going to be as effective in terms of bringing all the community issues forward. They might be effective in terms of having meetings and you know, talking to the same types of folks and maybe you know, making recommendations, but in terms of what the spirit of neighbor councils are, they're, they're not going to be meeting that goal. Um, and we know that. Uh, and I think some cities, city departments, we kind of know who's effective and who really has captured the, the voice of the community. And I think the city electeds know that too. And you'll see them work more with some neighbor councils and not so much with other neighbor councils. So it's not so much of their organizational efficacy, but rather their ability to achieve the mission that makes them successful. Right, right. When a neighborhood council is successful, and it's representing a large swath of Los Angeles. Some of these neighborhood councils represent 50, 60, 70,000 people within their, their neighborhood council boundaries. And again, that's residents, businesses, other community interest stakeholders. How can they align uh, with the city's priorities when they're trying to represent a, just a subset, even though they're huge? So they both have the challenge of being huge in their own right, 60, 70,000 people, but also just so small relative to the four million or more in Los Angeles as a whole. How do they balance that? Yeah, I think it's, first of all, it's difficult because neighbor councils, they get some funding, they get 42,000 a year, but that's not enough to, for their in, entire stakeholdership to know that neighbor councils even exist in that area. So we still are just scratching the surface of their ability to connect with fully with their, their, their communities. But what we've seen, like where we we're have some successes, is um, um, in South LA, for instance. You know, when the space shuttle came through mm -hmm. in the Science Center, you know, they were going to cut down like a bunch of trees in South LA and replace them with like one dinky little tree, and, like these old growth trees, and and I don't think they would have done that to any other community, uh, but they chose this community through South LA and just said, well, we're just going to go down Martin Luther King Boulevard and cut down all your trees. And, and take out the street lights for more than 24 hours. Um, and the neighbor councils in that area actually banded together. Mm. Um, and they, there's actually a South Los Angeles alliance neighbor councils, but they got together and they said, oh no, you're not going to do this to us. Um, we want, if you're going to cut down trees, we want, you know, instead of one or two trees are putting in, we want four trees be put back in. We want money set aside for um, community development, for job um, community development, and 
um, and we want you, know, you can't do that with the the street lights is not safe so you as soon as they come down they got to go over straight back up so they did long-term negotiations with um, this not only the city but with California Science Center in order to make sure that their community needs are being heard and I think that that's when you see when they understand their community and what their community needs um, and they have a action plan then they can really um, um, be effective so how do you how do you deal then with competing interests so in one neighborhood council you may not even have consensus right. what's the role of, of the department in trying to mitigate that and how do you how do you help people understand the human relationships that you're I mean fundamentally this is all about people talking and working with people how do you help neighborhood council see that when it's so vested so much passion for their issue yeah that's very difficult and I think sometimes uh, what well, what our role is, is is we are there to support them in their meeting operations and to educate them, right? So so we can say, hey, is, is that working for you? Screaming at each other constantly and, and not allowing people to talk. And <laughs> right? so, so we can go in there and we try to do some mediation um, between groups or we try to bring in a group to help mediate um, if for some reason they see us as too one-sided on an issue. Um, it's it's the one thing that we see when neighbor councils fail is when they are so locked into the us against them with uh, within their boards that we just have to wait for an election to come by and hope that one of the factions like wins or or you know something shifts can, in the can board. they fail they can fail they, so neighbor councils can be decertified um over the history of neighbor council system they made two decertifications one in northridge and one in south la and the one in south la there was a there was a, I think a, a, this is before my time, but my understanding was there was some type of mon monetary, you know, stealing type of thing going on. Um, and then the one in Northridge, again, before my time, uh, was because they allowed dogs and dogs to vote, but not cats right. or something like that. Because they weren't trustworthy. I yes. Remember, <laughs> <a big> <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, and so you have them fail, um, but then you have to rebuild them. Because, and I think both of those have been rebuilt into yes. some so what is it, who do you look for when you're starting from scratch now that you've had the experience of a hun over a hundred other neighborhood councils that have been successful in varying degrees? How do you go back and say, okay, if you're starting from scratch, what do you look for to build that foundation? So we look for folks who, under who first of all, understand their community, who represent the very diff different interests in the community, and who we know that can have great communication skills, right? So. So it's great that if, if you're very passionate about something in a community, but you know, you're screaming at everybody constantly. And, and our goal is to say, this is not the traditional route of a public comment, which is typically like a public outrage, like give me two minutes to scream at you about something. This is about ongoing dialogue with not only the city, but also with your neighbors and you know, community members to improve your neighborhood. And so if you can do, have those types of skills and, and want to serve and have the time to serve, that's, those are the types of folks that we try to identify. And we, and we look at, you know, we talk to nonprofits, we talk to um, council member offices and other electives and say, you know, do you know people who would be good for this? How much does it take for a member to serve effectively? <laughs> What's the time commitment for one of these councils? You know what? It can easily be a full-time job if it depends wow. on like what's, and that's why you see older retired people doing this because they can't. It's a lot of like other folks who you know, like have full-time jobs and and kids and like it's hard for them to do this. Um, 
but if you're choosing like one issue like i would say it would be like 10 to 20 hours just to just to like do your maybe committees meetings a month prep a week a oh, week no. <laughs> it can be 10 to 20 hours yeah, a week 10 to 20 hours a week i mean just think of planning issues right, right. Like if you're looking at all the planning issues that are coming into your community, that that's so. How do you keep time. good people engaged? What are the what's the carrot? I think when they can see the their contribution making a positive yeah. outcome uh, in their community, that really like the wins, right? And we all do that. If you're a volunteer. Are you going to volunteer for something that's constantly just endless frustration, right? If, if, if you don't see that win, if you don't see, hey, guess what? We got that sign put in that identified identified our little neighborhood and we did a community you know, beautification project or we worked with a school and now we have after school programs. You know, if you don't see those types of wins, you know, no one wants to sit on a neighbor council and just yell at each other constantly. <laughs> and, and so there is attrition though. You have good people who rotate off is there a way you keep them involved? Yes. So they either, some people have rotated off um, and they stay involved in com uh, committees of the neighbor council, um, or they join the alliances. So we have about 12 uh, regional and subject matter based alliances, um, or they serve on our commission, our board neighbor commissioners, or they serve on other commissions, like in terms of the city, um, they, they serve on other commissions, or we try to recruit them as into the city for jobs. So, and then, so a follow up on that is how many people are part of the system? How many volunteers do you have sort of active, like, like in a snapshot at any given time? Sure. So, um, there's about 1,800 board seats wow. in the city of Los Angeles, uh, neighbor council system. Um, so, so any one time we might have about 200 vacancies throughout the city, oh, wow. but that's not including all the committees every, every neighbor council has. And about know? how many committees do they have? Um, it ranges between three to 10. Wow. So, so uh, there's a lot of com uh, community members that are working at the committee level that we're not necessarily tracking. Gotcha. And so you look at this, you take a step back, you say, okay, this is four million residents alone in the city. We have 1,800 stakeholders that are, have an opportunity for a voice. That's really still just a drop in the bucket, but it's well more than 20 years ago when there was only 15 elected officials right. in the entire city of, uh, you know, three and a half million people. Right. So we've seen this tremendous, we've seen a tremendous growth. There's activation of, you know, more than 2,500 people that 20 years ago were not having any official or, or vocal role. What's next? What is the next three? five, ten years look like for this system of neighborhood councils? What's what's the next iteration that makes them even stronger to really empower communities? So for LA, um, it's, you know, we actually talked about this in the city, like what what is does the future look like? Because we know now there's a bunch of civic tech out there that's really going to change the way millennials that we engage with the city and anyone, you know, engaging with the city. And, and my argument is, that's great if you have all this tech and stuff like that, but what we have found over and over in neighbor council elections outreach, it's the face-to-face -face stuff that really is effective. And so if we could have neighborhood councils become like the civic engagement hub in their neighborhoods, then we can push out, they can help us push out more engagement strategies um, that is like, you know, whether it's door-to-door -door stuff or, you know, the civic uh, tech stuff but they're there to you know, um, amplify any of the city efforts in civic engagement. So it's like you know, having 1,800 
Well, civic engagement troopers on the ground, like going out there and saying, hey, folks, get involved and tell us what the city should be for your community. And if you could rewrite history and do it differently, what would you make to strengthen the system? If you go back 25 years when they did this, what would you do to strengthen the system? Yeah, so if I could do go back or do a charter change, <laughs> I would put in an, a source of funding into the city charter that is a guaranteed source of funding for resources that are needed for the city uh, neighborhood councils. Because what we've seen in the last you know, 20 years is that when there's a deficit, like resources get cut, everything stumbles in terms of the neighborhood council system. Um, and, and what we need is that continued source of funding not only for our department, but city attorney's department. We now have like two and a half city attorneys that advised 99 neighborhood councils. You know, it's, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. Um, the, the, the funding program, you know, that's like a $3.5 million funding program for just for neighborhood councils. And, and to have the money to have the resource to distribute that um, would be great. And then I would also make my position an appointed 10-year position, like the ethics department. Um, I think that when anyone leading this type of civic engagement effort, you have to have someone who's leading who's, who is not affected by the electeds, you know, in terms of can be removed um, if they're somehow pushing a civic engagement strategy that is not liked by the city electeds. Um, and I think that political issue um, definitely comes into play and I see that with other folks who are doing civic engagements and other cities who say the same thing there's a pressure sometimes in terms of well why don't you get involved in this but not in this right and I think that that's the stuff that um, we have to be careful about and as other cities are, are looking to this model or looking to a model to empower communities what advice do you have for them besides the idea of hey funding matters and autonomy matters what do, what do other large or small cities around this country, what can they learn from your experience? They're not all going to be able to have a chance to sit down with you. Right. So what, what, what nugget can you give them? Well, I would say that um, our, our system is every year, there's almost $10 million invested into this system. Um, and so not every city is going to be able to do this. And, and what I would say is if you can do civic engagement. If your city departments, if they can have a like a standardized way of doing civic engagement that's transparent and open and innovative, uh, you don't necessarily need a neighbor council system. I actually had the city of Toronto call me because they just got rid of like half of their city council members, and and they wanted to talk to me about neighbor councils and say, hey, what, you know, should we do that system here? And I said, look. If your if your city departments know how to do civic engagement, and that's a that's a big you know like a, a huge hurdle right there. But if they know how to do effective civic engagement, you don't need a neighbor council system. So if every city department is going out there and knowing how to talk to communities um, in an equitable manner, then you don't need to to have like this 1,800 you know people um, volunteers helping you because then you have to invest into a whole support structure and if you can't put that money aside for that then you shouldn't do it right put that money instead into teaching city departments how to be innovative there's community members that would say that this is a failure even though we've seen successes and you give us a couple examples of successes 
how do you how do you fight back the people who continue to push on you saying this is not a worthwhile expenditure? Right. And I think everyone has a different experience of it. So I can I can I know a lot of neighbor council folks that they left because their neighbor council was stuck in this phase of constant fighting. We never got anything done. Maybe the department came in and actually had to take over their meetings, you know. Um, and I get it. I get that experience. And I wish I could take them into like a Venice neighborhood council, which actually used to be oh, constantly fighting, and they've turned it around where they're leading on planning issues in that area. Um, in fact, I, the planning department has like a special little group that when any time Venice neighborhood council does a planning um, recommendation, they actually look at it and they analyze it, you know, because they know Venice is on top of it. Um, I think that you know when I when I want to talk to them about like South LA, you know, and the and Sherman Oaks, they did this really. You think it's a small thing, but it's it had a citywide impact. So they did this pothole lottery, where they basically asked all their neighbors like, hey, which who has the worst potholes, and and if you tell us you know and you win, we're gonna fill that pothole for you. We're gonna work with street services and fill that pothole. And um, and some people like, oh my God, the, this pothole in, in front of my house has been filled for 50 years. You know, something like like crazy stories like that. That program became a citywide program where basically Street Services gives each neighborhood council one of their pothole filler <laughs> machines um, and, uh, twice a year, and then they they ask their neighborhood, hey, tell us the potholes. You know, like it's it's stuff it's stuff like that that you think, oh, it's not, you know, like like doesn't seem so big doesn't seem so meaningful but like when we look at the basic services like that that's meaningful and that actually has an impact on people's lives so I would I would say there are successes there can be even more successes if we can put the resources that are needed into the system into the neighbor council system um, all right you ready for lightning round? <laughs> I'm ready for lightning okay. round. who's a leader who has influenced you in your work uh, Garcetti, actually Mayor Eric Garcetti, amazing, okay. smart. Which local neighborhood councils are great examples for others to emulate? Now oh, you gotta choose a favorite man, you cannot. Oh, Give me like, top three. That's like or asking three, like. Three of the top ten. Like kid, like who's your favorite kid? Yeah. I don't think I can do that. Okay. I think I have to pass on that one. Okay. What American city would you say is most civically engaged? Actually, I do know the answer to this right now. I, you would think it'd be L.A., um, because of the neighbor council system, and that's true to a certain extent, but in terms of like equity issues, Minneapolis is like kicking butt. Minneapolis. Yeah. Okay. They, they just, I just really quickly, because I thought it was so cool, they just did a community um, like workshop day, and one of the workshops was um, white supremacy and how do we get past it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're in it. Um, so what's the ideal sh uh, size for a neighbor council board? I would say no more than, uh, 18. It gets too unwieldy after that. Okay. Uh, 15 probably ideal, but. Um, what's your LA commuting tip? Oh, um, adjust your hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what's, what book have you read that's changed the way you think about your work in community and community empowerment? Um, oh my gosh, Gavin Newsom wrote this great book years ago before he became lieutenant governor and of course the name escapes me right now but look it up it's it's about I think it's open not open government but but um, it, it's about government civic tech how government can be innovative in terms of reaching um, uh, their communities okay uh, what advice would you give a 25 year old you 
you know, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, you will learn a lot more if you go out there and risk, uh, try new things, try to innovate, and and you'll learn from all your failures. So it's it's welcome. I know you've had a number of careers. So what is the best career decision you've ever made? I think actually taking on the general manager position and in Department of Empowerment, I, I didn't want it. Uh, right. It was a bit put on to me. <laughs> um, and in the end, I kind of stepped up. You know, I, I stepped up and, and it's been an amazing experience. And then what so far has been your proudest professional moment? Uh, throughout the whole, my lifetime? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I, you know what, I want to say uh, engaging like girls and women in the last year, we started this program called Ignite LA, and being a part of that new generation of uh, women leaders, I think is pretty cool. Cool. Well, thanks, Gracie, for joining us and talking about neighborhoods and neighborhood councils and civic engagement. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. Thanks for listening to Community Intelligence, and for more information on this and other episodes, visit our website at stratoscope.com. At Stratoscope, we provide community intelligence services to businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies. Let us know how we can help you.